As a kid, I was all about the Power Rangers. Uh, I remember one time, me and my sister were in Walmart, we were walking down the aisle with all the, the toys and the Power Ranger toys, and I loved all of it, and I told her, I'm gonna, I'm gonna collect Power Rangers for the rest of my life. I love Power Rangers. She's like, you're not gonna collect it for the rest of your life. I was like, yes I am. And she was right, I didn't continue to collect it for the rest of my life. But I think the big draw for me with Power Rangers was the the martial arts that they knew, the ability for them to, to defend themselves and to fight for what was right and fight for what was good. Uh, and that really resonated with me because at the time I was getting physically beat up at school. This was maybe third grade. Uh, we were living in Germany and it was an American school, but I remember there was these two boys that would, would constantly look for me at recess and and one of them, I don't know if he actually knew any martial arts, but he would just try to, to punch me and kick me and most of recess just ended up me kind of running away uh, until they just kind of got tired of chasing after me and it was pretty miserable because we, we ended up living in the same neighborhood as them and, and some of that continued on when I'd go outside and play with my sister and and then fast forward to about seventh grade, I remember we were living in Huntsville, Texas at the time, uh, and the school and the community wasn't that great. Uh, I would, on the bus rides, I would try to sit near the front uh, because more pro as you moved closer to the back, more problems kind of arose. And whenever I couldn't get a front seat, uh, I would sit in the middle and then and the kids would just slap me in the back of the head and then I would turn around and they'd be like, what? What are you gonna do? Do something. I wish you would do something because as someone starts something with me, my mom says I can fight them and I, 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 I dare you, I dare you, I dare you to hit me. And I remember just feeling so helpless and just not, just turning around and not wanting to deal with any of it. And, and then even in PE, it was just kind of open rain for some kids. I remember one instance where a kid would kind of come up and then he just started hitting me in the side of the head and, and the coaches were never around or they even saw what was going on, but they didn't do anything. And I think the most distinct moment that I remember as a kid was when me and my friend were, were punting the football to each other and then I punted it, but it kind of went off to the side and it hit this huskier kid uh, in, the, in the back. And he turns around, he's with this group of friends, he's like, who hit me? And everyone's just pointing at me, and I'm this small kid, and he comes up, and I put my arms up like I'm gonna fight, I don't know how to fight, and I don't remember, I think I, I did hit him in the shoulder, I just kinda swung sideways at him in the shoulder, and then he hit me right underneath my solar plex, and then I just went down, and couldn't breathe, and he says, don't hit me again, and I'm just like, <gasps> and just struggling to catch my breath. And those are some of the moments that I felt the most helpless uh, in my childhood. And, and I remember thinking I just wanted to learn martial arts so bad. I would, I would learn about the, the Kung Fu masters of China and how they would train in the early mornings and just be so, so drawn to that. And I remember I'd get these black and white karate books from the library and just kind of look at the pictures. I wouldn't even really read them. I would just look at the pictures and try to, try to do the stance or try to do the punch. And, and I remember I got this little VHS tape that said, learn, learn karate with the Green Ranger. And pay close attention while Tommy and the students warm up and stretch. Because at the end of this session, Tommy will reveal the steps to his special Green Ranger kata. Let's see.
And he's doing all these katas, which are like kind of this choreographed uh, uh, collection of moves in karate. And I would try to follow along with the video, not learning anything. And this is a kid and a teenager. I was like, I am going to learn martial arts someday. And in November of 2018, I joined a Brazilian jiu-jitsu school. At the time of recording this, I've been training for about four and a half months, and what I've actually found is, there is there's been a lot of insight uh, that I have gathered from being a student in a Brazilian jiu-jitsu school uh, and being a teacher of students in a, a traditional classroom. This is episode four of the Tom Gibson podcast, and in today's episode, I am looking at the overlap of the Brazilian jiu-jitsu classroom and the traditional classroom. And what are things that we as educators can learn from the world of martial arts and how that can apply to our classroom? There are a couple people that I thought would have a little bit of insight in this. First was the head of the high school that I work at. Uh, my name is Dan Cummings. I am currently the head of high school in my 20th year of education. And I got into the martial arts almost a decade ago. Dan's had his foot in a lot of different martial art worlds in the past 10 years. I started with some Muay Thai kickboxing. And then transitioned and focused on and Kali, some Wing Chun. And did a short six to nine months of BJJ. And I'm currently back doing Muay Thai. I wanted to know what it was that drew Dan to the martial arts so much later in life because that was kind of my story as well, not starting until I was about 30 years old. I wanted a space where I would be able to learn, where I would be the one on the learning side of things and less on the one, the side of things where I was supposed to know everything. In context of, of what we're talking about, I wanted to be a student again. I wanted to be completely out of my element. I wanted to be challenged in ways I had never been challenged before. It was a space of escape. It was a space to get away from all the trials and the struggles and the curriculum planning and the parent conversations and the, the constant barrage that a teacher experiences in a day-to-day -day basis. And it was a place for me to really go into myself and, and be myself and, and just learn from myself. And, and I found very, very quickly that the lessons that I was learning in the martial arts absolutely applied to the way I interacted with students as well. I found myself developing more patience for students, with students. I found myself developing more thoughtfulness around the way I constructed lessons, around the way I presented curriculum. In addition to that, I, I found myself just really engaging the classroom in, in a different way once I started the martial arts. Some of that I think is on the physiological side. I was just, I was feeling better, I was healthier, I was happier, I was more engaged, and I think that that's helpful in a classroom as well. But then at, the, at that more artful, esoteric level, applying the lessons that I've learned in the martial arts or that I was learning in the martial arts, you know, those started to make their way into my classroom over time as well. From my own experience, I think I kind of connect in the same way of developing more empathy for the student, being that this was all so new to me and I was and typically still am the least experienced person in my jujitsu classes. 
And it helped me kind of empathize with the students, particularly in math classes, that feel that they are the least experienced or the least capable students. Hey, Nathaniel, write down number 25. And then times that's a perfect concept. I also sat down with the black belt head coach of the place that I have been learning Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. My name is Professor Mikhail Abdullah. I uh, am a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, fortunate enough to be a champion. Been wrestling since I was about six, but Jiu-Jitsu... I got my black belt in six and a half years. Most people take about 10 to 15 years to get a black belt. Uh, so yeah, nine and a half years. In chatting with Professor Mikal. Well, a, a, a black belt who teaches is a professor. Uh, a, a black belt who does not teach is a coach. I wanted to know what moved him from being just a competitor to wanting to actually coach and teach people Brazilian uh, you know, it didn't. It didn't happen exactly in that order. I, I fell in, I was, I was, I was, um... Uh, fast forward, uh, post-military contracting, I was fortunate to build, buy, and sell a few different companies and start to sharpen my, uh, my, my business skills. And uh, at the same time, concurrently, I was um, fighting um, and competing around the world. I was patently a fighter, right? Uh, spending quite a few hours a day uh, training, working out. You know, a fighter's life is super selfish. Uh, it's my time, my shine. You know, my nutrition, my training, you know, my, 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 my. And that because because when it comes down to the fight, that's how you win. Um, as a coach, uh, and, and, and I, would, I would venture to, to, to wager an educator, right? The way you win is through other people winning, right? So it, life becomes very selfless. I was not interested <laughs> in selflessness <laughs> at the time. And so when um, a coach asked me to teach because he had, a, he had some tickets that he had already purchased and he, he needs somebody to fill in and he trusts me to be able to fill in, and particularly for his kids' classes, my answer was an immediate and emphatic no. Absolutely not. Why would you think I would ever want to do that? I don't work with kids. I wouldn't want to work with kids. So the, he, he thought he knew me pretty well, right? So he, he was like, you know what? I understand you don't want to do it. I'm going to offer you some money, right? And of course, my answer was still no. Why would I? Why would, but, but knowing me well enough, he immediately made a pivot and he said, I will offer you that money and the best steak in town. And, uh, and my, I was immediate, yes. I was like, it's the best steak in town? I'm, I'm listening. Then <laughs> we, we, over dinner, we chatted and I, and I, and I said, yes. And uh, it was really interesting because I, I had seen what he had done with the kids and uh, not, not to, you know, disparage, you know, his, his, his practice, but I saw a lot of uh, playing and not a lot of actual learning, right? And this is a group of kids that is uh, ages uh, six and up. So I told him, I'm, I'm totally down to, uh, to help, except for I'm going to teach them jujitsu. There's going to be a whole lot less of this, you know, like arbitrary games that aren't associated with the actual practice. I'm going to run the class oh, the way I would run it. Down my, right, my side. Do I go wide or down? Down. Wide or down? Down. Wide or down? Down. That's what I am. That's what I'm looking for. I got bit by the coaching bug um, after that uh, for a few reasons. One of them, I had some... Um, prejudices <laughs> to put it mildly when it came to children uh, and their ability to retain like important um, impactful like my, like inf information and they really surprised me I wanted to get a control right like a, a gauge for how much they could handle so I was like I'm just gonna break the system right real quick I'm gonna not break the children you know but I was like let me see what I can share with them and I'm gonna scale up fast and whenever they break right mentally 
I will just go a couple of levels lower, right? And then I'll start there. That was my idea, right? And these kids could hang. They could hang, not just, I'm not just talking about physically, they could hang mentally. Uh, I told them this is not a class, this is a conversation, right? I'm going to show you things. It's important that you ask questions. We're going to move real, real fast. If you have any um, issues, you ask me, I will help you. Um, if uh, you start cutting up and you waste my time, then I will waste your time. You will do burpees, right? I showed them what burpees are. We all did burpees as an example of what it was. I looked at the parents and said, if you parents have any issue with me correcting your child, you will do burpees. <laughs> there was one parent I had an issue with. I told him, or, or you can leave with your child because they're wasting my time and you're not, um, you're not supporting an environment that's conducive to learning. If you, uh, your, your child's being corrected, he's, he, he clearly you know, is, is looking for that type of you know, attention. And I think it's important for him to get correct because he, he's a smart kid. But uh, you know, he, he, he's, he's slowing us down. So, uh, she, she got upset. Keep trying. Keep trying. Keep trying. Keep trying. Keep trying. Keep trying. What I appreciate about Professor Mikhail's perspective is that he set these really high expectations for even these young students, and he communicated those expectations to the students and to the parents. And then he supported the students in meeting those expectations by assessing where they were at as they were coming in and then pushing and pushing and nudging and nudging and then seeing, okay, here is where, here's where we want to spend some time and here's where we want to focus. It wasn't just them that was learning. It was me that was learning. I, I felt like I was, in, I was a part of a fun, progressive conversation with other people that cared to a greater degree than I thought that they were able to. So it was really, um, that was really awesome. So I, I started with coaching kids and then I grew more into coaching adults. I'm, I'm of a belief that instead of just, you know, preaching from the, from the, you know, the mountaintop as it were, you know, uh, and you have to come to me. You know, I, I think educating someone, especially when it's something like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is, um, you have to kind of meet them in the middle to where their perspective is. You find where the break is in their information and you help build a bridge. And so looking at these connections between the jiu-jitsu mats and the traditional educational classroom, there's the empathy piece for the students in being a new learner and not being very good at something and making a lot of mistakes and learning from those mistakes. There's the expectations piece of developing these high expectations and wanting to support students in meeting those expectations. And both of these are just part of the larger context of what your classroom culture looks like, whether it's the classroom culture in the martial arts classroom or in the traditional classroom. I, I I think what I would say about that is, I'll start with the martial arts. I, I found the community being built when fellow practitioners, when people were willing to be vulnerable with each other, when people felt like it was a, you know, and this feels like a trendy word, but when people felt like it was a safe space where they could express what they were, you know, being challenged by or what questions they had, or they could trust people to both push them and, and offer them guidance at the same time while also being respectful regardless you know that was a big emphasis in the communities is there's always respect for each other and and I think that those are things that make a very good classroom as well it needs to be a space where students can make mistakes and they don't get laughed at they get encouraged and they need to be able to ask questions when they don't understand anything and they need to be empowered to do so um, and, and I think a lot of that comes from creating a, a classroom environment around respect you know creating a classroom environment where Knowing that everybody is there for the same, with the same goal, if not the same purpose, or without, if not necessarily the same, 
expected outcomes. So creating a classroom environment where students respect the opinions and respect the ideas of others and understand that not everybody is at the same level and that that's okay, I, I think that's a big piece of what creates community in a, in a martial arts setting as well. Probably the, the institution that I was a part of for a little while where I felt the least community, it, it very much felt like it was a school that was about the director running it as a school, as a business to make money. And that really, in, in my opinion, like set the tone for how people interacted in that program. People didn't really bond with each other, and, and there was kind of a, a constant pressure, a constant, um, pressure's too strong a word, just a constant awareness that it felt like I was paying for something instead of participating in something. And, and that's what really undermined the community at that school. You know, in, in, in other martial arts schools that I was at, you know, I, you're still paying for classes. Um, but I always felt like I was involved in something meaningful. I was part of something bigger than myself. And, and that's what was important to me. Instead of a transactional relationship, it was a relationship of mutual exchange. And, and I think that applies to a, a traditional school classroom as well. It, it can't be transactional. It needs to be, it needs to be give and take Professor McCall had this in mind as well when he was actually choosing the name for his jiu-jitsu school. Aces Jiu-Jitsu Clubs, I noticed a lot of people put their name inside of the, you know, Bob's Jiu-Jitsu Academy, you know. I didn't want the club to just be about paying homage to me. I wanted to be a part of a club that I really appreciated. So when people looked up at the sign, I didn't want them to say, I am Mikhail, or I am Negan, right? <laughs> I want them to say, I'm an ace. I want them to say something that they can identify with as opposed to just my name, right? Uh, and when, when Mikhail's not here, right, uh, then, 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 then it is, the environment is still whole. Um, also, the, the, uh, the, the feeling centered around academy or uh or school or dojo didn't seem conducive with the energy that i was attempting to create at the time um which was a club environment growing up in you know wrestling clubs and um and 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 working with mma clubs uh, around the world i was fortunate that, that that kind of environment it was full of a lot of people attempting to help each other grow um versus a single focal point it, it, that that wasn't conducive with my plan. I want I wanted to be a part of a community instead of just be the just just be the head of a community. So one of the main classes I teach in middle school is pre-algebra, and I follow a lot of middle school and high school math teachers online and kind of see what the conversations are in emerging education and progressive education when it comes to mathematics. And there's always these discussions on direct instruction versus more inquiry-based and discovery instruction. And so I kind of thought and wondered, how does that actually play out? in jiu-jitsu because in my experience I feel like it's definitely a balance because there are the days where I am just kind of rolling and exploring and I'm trying to get I'm trying to submit an opponent or I'm trying to put them in a position called the guard or I'm trying to do something that I learned that week and I'm kind of just exploring and seeing what works and what doesn't and my body is feeling like oh this doesn't seem like it's putting me an advantage but oh this one feels I feel like I'm in a really secure spot and I have the advantage right now and I learned through that doing and I've learned through that exploration but there's also this 
instead of just that direct instruction of a coach saying, do this, like this, in this order, in this way, because of this. And so for a long time in the math classroom, a part of me was really focused on kind of being a purist in this inquiry-based or discussion-based or discovery-based kind of learning and felt like if I was doing any kind of direct instruction, I was doing it wrong. But my experience in the classroom with a variety of different learners and my experience on the mat has started to change that a little bit. And in, in most of the schools where I've practiced martial arts, you know, kind of a general format is that, for instance, in BJJ, a coach will demonstrate, explain, walk you through the specific technique that, that he or she is teaching and, you know, ask multiple times, just, do you want to see it again? Do you want to see it again? You know, in the whole class, oftentimes, you know, they'll, they'll do it seven or eight times and then they'll ask you to pair up and practice it. And then that coach and the coaches in the room usually come around and offer that one-on-one -on -one guidance with you as you practice it. And, and that's something that, that I think applies to a classroom. Like it's not enough to, in that traditional sense, stand at the front and just put it out there and expect everybody to get it. You know, you need to start that way, but then the teacher needs to make sure that they are working with every student individually at that individual student's level and, and understand that they're not all going to get it the same, but they all should be advancing through it. I think direct, I, I think direct instruction is, should be mostly about demonstration and about providing a tool. It's, it's never going to be about mastery. You, you can't teach mastery through direct instruction. You can demonstrate how to do something. You could provide the tool or like in a math classroom, you could give the formula and explain why the formula works. But the students have to be able to apply the formula to differing circumstances. You know, the BJJ student has to understand why a particular guard or a particular lock is, is going to work. And, and they're not going to understand when that works until they try to apply it. Some students are going to be excellent when it comes to grappling, but be terrible when it comes to any kind of a, of a stand-up martial art. And it's going to be the opposite for others. You know, and, and you, you take what's valuable from each one and be able to apply it. And, and I think that's the same when, you, when you're talking about a student across disciplines in a school. A school needs to recognize that not every student is going to be a mathematician and an English major and a scientist and a studio artist. You need to recognize that students are going to take from each individual discipline what is valuable to them and what is important to them. And as a teacher in any individual discipline in a classroom, you need to not be offended when there are students who aren't going to rise to, you know, mathematician status in your class. That, that's okay. Um, I think we all want basic proficiency, absolutely. But I don't think we expect everybody to be the greatest at, at every discipline that they walk into. And, and, and that's the same in the martial arts world. When, when you teach Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, um, it, it's easy to get mixed up. I, you were talking about that a minute ago. Like, take your take your hand and move it. Mm -hmm. You know, move your leg. You know, <laughs> what leg? <laughs> yeah. Move it where? I don't yeah. know. What are you talking about? <laughs> and so we work with our coaches when instructing to to physically grab, mm -hmm. right? Um, it's like I'm grabbing your leg and and then moving it in the appropriate place and then moving it back and moving it in the appropriate place and then moving it back and then releasing the grip a little bit and now telling you to move it. Right. And then I kind of guide it. Now you move it. Right. And yep. then now this last time you're going to do it by yourself and you did it. Great. Yeah. Right. And, and, and instead of like guiding physically, like guiding you um, through it and being OK with it. I've talked to some coaches and they had an issue with it. They were like, yeah, but then I'm just giving them the answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, dummy. <laughs> 
What's your mission? Yeah. <laughs> your mission. Sometimes it's important to reverse engineer the answer because yeah. really what we're looking at at my what I'm attempting to do is 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 help is teach you how to do the work mm -hmm. so that you can do it for yourself. So what if you have the answer? Yeah. It's the nuance of doing the work to arrive at the result, which is the thing. Here is the answer. Let's reverse engineer that and how we got that. Right. And it's very easy to just change the question. Yeah. Right. All right. Great. So let's so let's do that again, except with different integers. Yeah. Right. And I and I, I think um, that that mode of, of coaching and teaching, it may be conventional, but it's not a, it's not the, the one that serves teachers and coaches and students the best. The, with jujitsu, when you're sparring with another person. Right. At the end of the, it, it really is a conversation. Right. You have you, these two energies, two ideologies, um, philosophies on what is and is not efficiency and uh correct and 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 the conversation this is one of one of the things i love about it. they say the, the match she doesn't lie mm -hmm. right um and then and then and then it kind of culminates into this moment of of uh you know what you call you know uh, expression or dominance however, however you want to call it um but but the the most fun part uh for me is is the volley you know back and forth and I believe when I have the opportunity to, to move the conversation away from my explanation and into a conversation mm -hmm. where other people are grasping at those other ideas that they're trying to explain, and then I can impart like a, a tiny bridge mm -hmm. and, and help them get, you know, jump over that small gap, um, that's, when, uh, that's when students feel inspired. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I also feel inspired and that, and that, and that's, that's also when they retain the information. I, I often say, you know, I'm not trying to make an encyclopedia of techniques, you know, well, I'm not trying to turn a person into an encyclopedia of techniques. I'm, I'm, I'm attempting I'm to, to help a person, uh, divine techniques that they can use for their own game. Um, which first requires they identify their own game, which first identifies, they must identify what are the components of a game. What is the what is the overarching algorithm of what uh, is required in order to make a game complete? Um, and this is for this is this is a fun conversation because you're building something for yourself. You're building something for you as opposed to just arbitrarily um, studying information uh, that um, you know that 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 feels like it what is this for mm -hmm. um you know when when i was uh studying math i was hit or miss uh on my level of appreciation mm -hmm. until i began studying physics um in school and 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 then all of a sudden it was like oh i'm solving for mm -hmm. uh, for 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 this this issue that humanity has and mm -hmm. and i'm 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 gleaning something i'm i'm i get i get the opportunity to be a scientist this is wonderful, yeah. right? Um, and and but previous to that, when it was just an arbitrary, you know, you know, a squared plus b squared, I, I it didn't. I that's not actually a good. Uh, I, I love Pythagorean. Theory. <laughs> that's actually not. But well, you said not, reminded me. There's a, a a math educator that I've heard him say, if the concept that I want to teach, if Pythagorean theorem mm -hmm. is the aspirin, mm -hmm. how do I create the headache? 
And so kind of just like what you said, like almost like, yeah, where it's like, <laughs> how do I show the students their need yeah. for this to where they're like struggling? If only there was a way that we can find the side of this triangle. If we know the, you know, yeah. like there's other two sides. Mind blown, by the yeah. way. Mind ha- <laughs> yeah. Hashtag yeah. mind blown. And, so can you say that again? Say, please repeat that. Yeah. That's- if the thing you're trying to teach mm-hmm. is the aspirin, mm-hmm. how do I create the headache in my students? I love that. Yeah. I love that. That's beautiful. I've noticed like as you started to talk about that, that's like I see that there's there's so many opportunities to do that, even in a math class, as you saw, and kind of like what you saw, what what happened in physics is like how do you create how do you create meaning? And that's the big challenge. Like how do you create that meaning yeah. uh, for students or how do you create that meaning for students? It won't be a square, it would be a rectangle. This is not a square. Okay. Why is it not a square? Because it's not perfect in each side. To be a square, would have to be perfect in each side. So what are the dimensions of this? When you use six Cheez-Its... What, what do you feel yeah. the difference between a coach and an, a teacher, a classroom teacher is? What's the difference? What should it be different? Yeah. And where, where are there differences that, that are natural? My, my wife and I have had this conversation <laughs> many times. And she, she or other educators may or may not uh, disagree, but I think there's very little difference. Mm-hmm. When I think of a coach, I mean, I have coaches now, um, uh, business mentors. Um, I have uh, coaches still in jiu-jitsu where I, I, I go to, to learn from um, life mentors to, to go receive coaching. This is a coaching moment. I require, you know, some assistance bridging a gap. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I believe it's, a, it's, it's the exact same thing. These, these people are teaching me how to get something that I want to get. The difference is, I, as an adult, I get to elect, mm-hmm. you know, um, those classes. But it would be hard to elect those classes if I didn't, uh, effectively, if I didn't have a base level knowledge that was afforded to me mm-hmm. um, through schooling as a child. So I, I, I think the overarching difference would be the election. It begs the question, you know, how do you get someone to elect then? Mm-hmm. Which is a jujitsu question. How do you get someone to move into a certain position of their own volition and now before they realize here, it was a trap? I have to cheat a, a little bit and take my, my fingers, boom, and kind of drag. So when he tries to pull his hand up, it's not enough to stop him from getting his hand up, but he will drag me around so I can easily come over the top and create my two-on-one scenario. So in my two-on-one scenario... Right a lot of the mistakes that you see coaches making, like what are parallels that you see as classroom educators making as well? Not minding their hats. Not minding their hats. And, and by hats, when I, when I talk to coaches, I, I, I speak of the, uh, uh, the, the three hats that we wear, right? One hat, the hat of the guru, the hat of the colleague, and the hat of the student. Mm-hmm. And each hat has its own conversation and stance, right? As the guru, I know this information by a large degree better than you. And... Our experiences here is solidly as I am the teacher and you are the student. Uh, it has its own conversation and its own stance and its own time. Um, the, the conversation of the, of the colleague, right, in which we are on the same level at the same um, eye level. Mm-hmm. And we are discussing our issues around overcoming an obstacle. And then there's the, uh, you know, when I, when I, when I was learning this concept, these are the problems that I had, and here's how we can help you overcome them um, in advance. You know, um, this is this is how I, this is this is how I did it. What do you think about that? And then allowing the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the, the the 
and then there's the hat of the student, right? Which is I, I ask you questions, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I don't. How would you? So it's made up of three parts. Here's part one. What do you think we should do to to solve part one? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, break it into part. What's part one made out of? I mean, mm-hmm. what you tell me. What do you think? Because I'm trying to figure it out too. Like, how do I manage those conversations? Um, I think that each of those. I, I I believe often that most coaches um, opt for the first hat, the the hat of the yep. guru, and and do a disservice to themselves and to their students by opting for that as an overarching hat. When I think that that hat is actually the least, the, the hat that you should opt for least often, if your mission is for someone else to convert information into uh, in information learned and information owned. Mm-hmm. I would say that's the that that would be the biggest issue. I think it would be a a balance between two and three, which is where I'm the student and I'm the colleague. Mm-hmm. I attempt to communicate to my to to students all the time that you know I uh, I have had my own struggles at one time. I didn't come out of the womb as a black belt, you know. Um, I've gone through a lot of these struggles as well. It's just it's my 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 fortunate position to have overcome them. Um, and now I'm in a position to be able to communicate them to you and help hold your hand and guide you through them. I think there's a lot that traditional classroom educators can learn from the world of martial arts uh, from the perspective of being a student again, but also kind of looking at effective coaches in the martial arts and what is it that makes their coaching effective and how does that parallel our coaching or our guidance or our teaching in the classroom. And so I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. This was the first podcast where I actually sat down and was able to interview people. Uh, And so that was really fun. That was really cool. I hope to do that some more. And so big thanks to Dan Cummings of Headwater School. And you can learn a little bit more of our school at www.headwaters.org. And also thank you to Professor Mikhail Abdullah of Aces Jiu-Jitsu Club in Austin, Texas. You can find him on Twitter at MikhailBJJ. That is M-I-K-A-L-B-J-J. As well as acesjujitsuclub.com. Also, fun fact, when I was researching for this episode of the podcast, I found out that Jason David Frank, the guy who played the Green Ranger and the Power Rangers, actually went on to fight MMA, so perhaps I should have paid a little bit more attention uh, to learning karate with the Green Ranger. Music in this podcast was by Jell and by Timber Timber. Thank you so much for listening to the Tom Gibson Podcast. If you'd like to stay in the loop with upcoming podcasts, you can subscribe in Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or anywhere else. And if you're feeling like being generous, please leave a rating and or review in Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, and it'll help more people find the show. I'm Tom Gibson. Thanks so much for listening, and hopefully I'll see you in the next podcast. Podcast.